Right, everybody, I'd like you to listen to me for a few minutes. Can you do that? That's good. I'm not going to shout so much during this time. Chris is going to put up some slides, and we're going to talk very quickly about that reading and about what it might mean. It's a very familiar reading, isn't it? I say every year when I come here, this is the 20th year that I've been in ministry, 21st year I've been in ministry. I've done 20, it's my 21st Easter Sunday standing before you, and every year I come to the same reading and think, what shall I say this, this year as I come along? It's a very familiar reading, but what struck me this most about that reading to begin with is that Easter does not begin with people going full of faith and celebrating at the tomb. That's not what happens at all. In fact, what begins the, the, uh, the words that begin at the beginning of this story are these words here. What do you think? The woman was there and she was wondering, what's this about? The next word is she was puzzled. This is strange. What does it mean? The next thing that the others say is, the, the, the disciples said, it seemed like nonsense. And the last phrase was, they didn't believe. Here's the story of Easter, everybody. It is a bit of a puzzle. It seems like nonsense. And they didn't believe it. This is the beginning of the church. That's what happens. This morning I was on, uh, online with Tony Thompson, my friend from Hope Church. And he said that in his life... When he was growing up, a bit like me, he didn't go to church and he spent most of his younger years telling everybody else that church was a load of nonsense, that faith was a load of nonsense. You shouldn't believe that. You're completely naive if you believe any of that stuff. But he said then something happened when he was persuaded because he took the story more seriously. And I believe the Spirit of God met with him as well. And since that time, he can't look at this story without thinking, this is the lens through which the whole world makes sense. So somehow, Easter turns from being a pile of nonsense to being a lens which makes sense of everything. And I wanted just to think about that very quickly this morning, because we've had a detective already. We're going to talk about some evidence this morning. I want to pr propose something to you this morning from what's in the Bible, and you can see where you end up with it. How's that? Is that all right? Good. So next thing. Easter Day, then, doesn't begin with the Gospels with a story about faith. It begins with a mystery. The setup at the tomb describes what is seen and what is heard, or rather what is not seen. And the image of that cliched murder victim, there he is, an outline where a body was, it seems strangely appropriate. Because when you draw that on the ground, what you're saying, isn't it, is that somebody was there and was killed and you've left a remember... <laughs> that word's a difficult one. A memorial of the person being there, but the body isn't there anymore. So the question that you might think when you see that outline is, what happened? Where are they? What happened next? And that's what we need to think about at Easter time. So the next slide says, so like a mystery, I thought it'd be good step by step to go through the evidence that's there. First of all, I wanted to say this to you. You might not believe this, but there is plenty of evidence outside of the Bible for people who testify to the fact that Jesus was a real person. He lived a real life. He started a movement that had a profound impact on, on the Roman society at the time and that he died on a cross. This isn't just from the Bible. This is from a Roman historian called Tacitus, who I studied for Latin A level, everybody. And in Latin A level, Annals 15, it says 
Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. So first of all, point one I want you to know. Jesus was a real person. He did live and he did die on a cross. This is testified not just by the Bible, but by evidence outside the Bible. Point two that we move to next is this. If that's the first piece of evidence, the Bible says in the detective story is, the problem is, you know in those, those murder mysteries, they usually begin because they find the, bed, the body, don't they? We found the body, and then they, they, they think about it. The Easter mystery begins because they didn't find the body. It's a very strange mystery. But here's point two that the story is insistent upon. Point two is this, that Jesus' body wasn't there. That he did live and he did die, but his body was not in the tomb when they went there. And the women look a bit silly because at the end of the Friday story, it says they mixed up spices to finish off burying the body of Jesus. And they had to wait a day because it was the Sabbath and nobody could do anything. So they went on Easter Sunday morning and when they got there, they found the stone, a massive fella, which was rolled in front of the cave, had been moved away. This would not have been an easy thing to have done. But somehow the stone had been moved away. And when they went in, puzzled by what was going on, what they found was nothing. They knew the body had been put there, but the body was no longer there. In fact, the only thing they found was a pair of pyjamas. Burial robes that were left there. There was evidence that a body had been there and was no longer there. That's what appeared to be the case through the story. So that's the next point. Let me move on. So Jesus was real, lived and died. And Jesus' tomb is empty and the grave clothes are left abandoned. And then there's the matter of what Jesus said about himself while he was still alive. And this is testified in three of the Gospels. Three times Jesus says the same thing to his followers. He says, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. At the time, his followers said, this makes no sense. Things are going really well. Everybody loves you. Why would you go in and predict this? In fact, one of them said, no way, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus said to that person, you need to get out my way because this is the point. This is the point of why I've come. Curiously, the point of why I come isn't just the life I lived, but the death I'm about to die. And this mysterious thing that he says three times in the Gospels, after that, I will rise again. So point three about the evidence is this. Jesus said that he would die. And Jesus said three times that what would follow that would be that he would rise again. That's the mystery of the Easter tomb. And when they think about that, maybe the empty tomb begins to start, maybe the cogs start to turn. Hold on a minute. Jesus said this, and this is, it couldn't be true, could it? It couldn't be true, but, but he said this, and now this has happened. And he's nowhere around here. What's happened? So the next bit that I want to say is this. What matters isn't the circumstance, isn't what Jesus said previously, isn't the fact that people testified. What matters most to people as they come along is that a series of people then say that they met Jesus alive. Not one person, but a series of people, one after the other, start to testify about the fact that they have met this person 
and they've seen him alive. In fact, the early sermons of the church, think about this, if this is all not true, this is a mad thing to do. The early sermons of the church, one after the other, say Jesus has risen from the dead. If you don't believe that and you're pretty convinced by that, then that was a, ma- a very, very strange message to be saying because one after the other, people said, Jesus is not dead. This is the fulfillment of everything we've been waiting for. Jesus isn't just risen. I'm not so excited by that. Do you know the phrase that really excites me? Jesus is alive. Is alive. C.S. Lewis said, the first fact in the history of Christendom is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. So that's the next thing. In fact, it goes on and says that these people are, uh, there's a number of people that they're one after the other. And this encounter with Jesus changes everything for those people. He meets Mary in the garden. He meets the disciples in an upper room on two occasions. He meets two people on a road to Emmaus. He meets disciples again on a beach. On two of those occasions, really mysteriously, if you think that Jesus is a ghost and they're making it up, it's, he asks whether he could have breakfast with them and he scoffs some kippers. That's what happens in the Bible. Why would this mysterious spiritual presence, feeling that not being the end, have breakfast? It doesn't make sense. And furthermore, when Paul writes, he writes uh, that, for what I received I passed on to you is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and then that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as well. So what, what, this, what Paul says is that out there are well over 500 people who would say they've seen this person. That's what he says. But go on a step further in this evidence. It's not just that these people say that they have an encounter that really convinces me. What really convinces me is the cost of saying that that they've seen this person. There are consequences to saying that you've seen this person alive. Not only do they say that they see Jesus alive, but they live a life then that is committed to the truth that he is. And for that reason, some of them are persecuted, many of them, very quickly afterwards, and some of them give their lives straight afterwards. Why would you give your life for a lie? Why would you choose to lay down your life on the premise that turns out not to be true that Jesus is alive? The most convincing person of all of that for me is Paul himself. Paul was an enemy of Jesus and of the church. In fact, his living was made by persecuting the church. And then something happened to him on a road to Damascus where he says he met Jesus, who is alive. And this man, who was the enemy of the church and everything, suddenly becomes the biggest advocate for the church. More than that, not only does he do a load of talks and become a platform speaker, he doesn't have a spring harvest career, Paul. That's not what he aims for. He says this, I've worked much harder, 
been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open seas. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And then he goes on and says, and I did all this because I made up this thing about Jesus being alive. What? Seriously? Does that make any sense? The case is building, isn't it? The case is building. Just a couple more things. What does it mean, all of this? The impact of these events is, of course, as important, if not more important, than the evidence itself. What difference does it make? Jesus did not die randomly, but on purpose. Jesus did not rise from the dead because it was a good trick. He did it to change everything. To change you and to change me. Coming to believe in Jesus is, not, is, is just the beginning. Just the beginning of figuring out what a life is. Because if you come to believe this, as I've come to believe this, I was like Tony. I spent the first 18 years of my life not going to church. And I've staked my life since that time on this. This is either true or I've been an idiot for 35 years. Well, some people would say I have been an idiot for 35 years. (laughs) C.S. Lewis says, Christ has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of a new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history is opened. In other words, if all of this evidence, and it certainly stacks up as true, then you can't ignore it. You can ignore it, but it is true around you. And it has consequences for our world. It's this idea of the resurrection of Jesus that not only completes the work of the cross, dealing with the past, but also opens up a future for us that provides the basis of the life that we live day by day by faith. The challenge to my church, if you're here as part of my church already, is this, for this Easter. You will hear a lot of talk in the next year about the fact that we do not simply come to church. We are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. What does that mean for you? Do you want to be a churchgoer or do you want to be a follower of Jesus? If we want to be the church which is going to make a difference in Stopsley and bring hope to people down there and to our town, we need to be like Paul and be able to say from time to time, it was blooming tough. Why did you do it? Because Jesus is alive, and I believe in him. And I'm going forward with that. The book of Revelation has this vision of Jesus risen from the dead, and he says this, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So I've given you the case. Here's the consequences. Don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. And so can you be by trusting in him. At the beginning of this talk, we mentioned the fact that the women were puzzled and bewildered. 
there's a different sort of wonder that emerges at the end of the Easter story. Believing, I believe, in the resurrection brings joy. What do you think? Seriously, it brings joy. Believing in the resurrection brings peace. You don't need to be worried about things because you can trust in him. Believing in the resurrection brings hope. Believing in the resurrection means life for us and purpose. What are we going to do after Easter next week? How are we going to live our lives? Here's the beginning of the answer. Not just same old, same old, but a purpose. And a purpose not just for eternity, but in the here and now. A purpose that is going to drive us to do justice and pray for people who are suffering. Meet the needs of those who are going to be struggling during the times of cost of living crisis. Battle for the environment that's around us. Stand for racial justice. And all the time, speak again and again and again about the reason we do this. And its name is Jesus. And you can have hope in him. Come and join with us and be part of this way of life. Make a difference. And we have eternity to celebrate it. The wonder at the end of the story is not a puzzle. It is a celebration. And that's why we're here today. So finally, I just wanted to say this. Thank you for listening so well. That wasn't the final thing I wanted to say. That was just something else. <laughs> These days, I think, people often come up to me. I talk to them. I, I like talking to people. People who don't come to church. And uh, maybe even people within the church, sometimes they say this to themselves. And they say, you know, faith, I like hearing your back. Your faith. I think faith matters. And I think if it works for you, that's really good. If it makes you happy, that's, I'm so pleased for you. It's lovely to talk about your faith. Both of these views suggest that this great story about Jesus dying and coming back to life is kind of a bit like an add-on that we can have to life. It makes life a bit more fulfilling. Did Jesus die if he died and laid down his life and then rose from the dead so that my life could be a little bit more fulfilled and give me a hobby on a Sunday? Absolutely not. That is bizarre and mysterious and stupid to think that. Shall I tell you why most people come to church here in my church? You can tell me if I'm wrong, those of you who come to my church. We don't come here because we think it works for us. We don't come here because it makes us happy, because sometimes it doesn't. We come here because we believe it's true. And if you view this story on those terms, you cannot say, well, if that works for you, that's all very nice for you, but, you know, it's not for me. The bottom line is the Easter story is an invitation, and more than that, sorry to be a bit rude if you're a guest here, but it's a confrontation. It says this, Jesus died for you. Jesus is alive and invites you to follow him. There is hope for you in this, in this world and in the life to come. Jesus is not a lifestyle option. Jesus matters profoundly what you, how you respond to him. Profoundly. And I believe this, talk, this, this life doesn't begin by a persuasive talk. It begins because you decide, actually, I'd like to take this seriously, and in a moment of prayer, which we're going to do now, you just whisper in the privacy of your own heart, if this is true, I want to meet with you. Sometimes that takes a while. It did for me. 
I didn't pray a prayer and suddenly everything was different in my life. I'm still a bit of a mess. And I'm getting better all the time, as John Lennon would say. Or was it Paul McCartney? Who knows? But my life did change at that point. What mattered in my life changed at that point. And that only happened because I began to believe that Jesus was alive and started to walk with him rather than question him. When you start to do that, you find that everything has changed. Amen? For those of you who believe. So let's pray together. I'd love to pray. Father, this Easter Sunday morning, I stand before these people and I want to be vulnerable before them. I want to be honest and say to you in front of them that there are days when I wake up and think, is it true? And there are days when I wake up and think, this is too hard. And there are days when I wake up and think, if only I had a magic wand and could make this better. But most days I wake up and think, I want to follow you. You're the answer. Everything that is troubling me, I want to find an answer in you. So for those of us who know you here and have been following you, I pray for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit this Easter. I pray that we would stop being churchgoers and start being disciples. I pray that we would stop letting other people take responsibility and start taking responsibility and decide that we are going to be people of intention and a community of intention. Not because we've been bad before this, because I long for us to be so much better and great before you. And you can do that, Lord, by transforming us by your spirit. We want more of you. And if people have come here this morning as guests, you're very welcome. I don't want to batter you in any way whatsoever. But I just want to leave a little moment here that if anything I've said has resonated as true, that in this moment you might just say a prayer for yourself, which simply might say, God, if you're real, I'd love to reach out for you and find something about you. Maybe I'm going to read something out of your word, your Bible. Maybe I'm going to talk to somebody. Maybe I'm going to stretch out because the Bible says, taste and see, not observe from a distance, that the Lord is good. I pray that you would meet people in their point where they're asking you. And finally, Lord, I want to pray for our town, for our church, for our neighbours, our families, our friends, our communities, for this aching, broken, devastated world that somewhere in the midst of all that we see day by day, you would be pouring out your spirit in blessing and good things would be rising up in the face of danger and in the face of sadness and in the face of tragedy. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Whatever the circumstances, he either is or isn't. And I want to say to you again in a moment of vulnerability, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.